Hello everybody, welcome to the latest episode of A Bloody Mess, a badly researched true crime podcast. Joining me today over Skype as usual because we're still in lockdown, it's James. Hello! Hey buddy, how you doing? Yeah, I'm alright, I'm thoroughly locked down as yeah. as we speak. Not in like a, an S&M kind of way, but... Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, you know, it's here's hoping for the weekend. Um, just a warning for everyone, I've got bad hay fever, so if I'm sniffing a lot, I do apologise. I'll try, try and edit it out, but hey-ho, yeah, I'm shit at editing. Yeah, I'd like to apologise as well. If you hear any rustling, that's my beard against the microphone. Yeah, we like that noise, though, don't we? Yeah, true. So, here we are on the day before release. We're, you know, both not doing much with our time, but we still leave it to the last minute. Exactly, it's the best way to do things, I've found. Um, yeah, so last episode we mainly discussed Robert Black's childhood and early life before moving on to cover three of his four confirmed murders, which were Jennifer Cardi, Susan Maxwell and Caroline Hogg. Yeah, now would advise you to go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. Don't be thinking that by skipping the first episode you'll get straight to the juicy bits because it's not how this podcast works. If you do, then the joke's on you. Not that it'll be hard to understand, it's just a good chance this will be a worse episode than the last one. <laughs> Oh, there's every possibility we're sober. Exactly. This episode contains one more confirmed murder, and some more that Black was linked to over the years, but was never proven to be him. Also, we'll go into how Black was finally caught, tried, and where he is now. Spoiler alert, this might spill over into a third episode. (gasps) Ooh, exciting. Spoiler alert, this does go to a third episode. (sighs) Disappointing. There's been a murder of podcast. A bloody mess. Now before we get into that, we'll pick up where we left off, and that was after the discovery of the body of a five-year-old Caroline Hogg, found naked, dead, and decomposing. The location of the body was so close to the murder of Susan Maxwell that it led the police to suspect the murders were committed by the same person. See, it's quite a reasonable assumption to make that, seeing as it was on a quiet road and you'd need local knowledge to find it. It's not like it was on the main road or like in a, a commonly known area. Oh yeah, this was down a back road somewhere, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. The police also concluded that due to the locations, distances, and that the abductions were both on a Friday, that the suspect was likely tied to some sort of schedule. Likely to be a delivery schedule. Or a chimney sweep with regular customers. A what? A chimney sweep with regular right, okay, customers. Yeah. Fair enough. Or a milkman. I suppose that's a yeah. del- delivery schedule, isn't it? Yes, but well, it's, it's, it's early mornings, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Paperboy. But again, that's just that's covered in delivery schedule. Yeah. So what if one's you, a good one, chimney sweep. It's not. It's what, what if you were a regional manager for Juice Plus? What's Juice Plus? It's like a diet drink, and you like you drop it. You'd have to drop it off to your people's houses that you employed for them to sell it on. Yeah, but that's still a delivery schedule. So they were kind of right, weren't they? Unless he was a chimney sweep, then they weren't. Be, they weren't not right at all. True. What if you were delivering meat for like an online <laughs> butchers? Still, hey, that's what he was doing. No, he wasn't. He's had that job already, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Yeah, maybe not the same. He was a butcher's delivery boy. I don't think they had the internet in those days. Not for ordering meat, anyway. 
And also, I, I didn't didn't pluck up the courage courage to ask my dad if he knew this guy yet. So if oh, this you, goes you to, need to. If it goes to the third episode, um, I'll try and live live phone call. <laughs> no, he was sitting. We were, I went round to his house, sitting in the garden the other day, and he was talking about Kinlock leaving where he grew up, and I was just I was like, mm, do you know do you know Robert Black? I didn't say it though. I didn't say. It. Just say, he was talking nice things. Say, do you know Smelly Bobby Tulip? <laughs> right. Just. What what you should do is literally just send him a text now. Uh-huh. Say, Dad, can I ask you a strange question? Where, back in Kinlock Leaven, did you know the Tulip family? No, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'll text him. What's his number? 999. <laughs> not anymore. He's retired. <laughs> right. Following these conclusions, a number of transport companies were contacted and the driver's whereabouts were traced in relation to both Susan Maxwell's murder... It might have been a bin man <laughs> because they come... With the bin wagons, the bin wagons is that what is that what you call them? Oh, what, what, I'm sorry, I don't call them refuse collection vehicles. That's exactly what they are. The bin wagons. Following these conclusions, a number of transport companies were contacted, and the driver's whereabouts were traced in relation to both Susan Mac- Maxwell's and uh, Caroline Hogg's murders. This method found no real leads to follow up on. I mean. Regarding the fact they didn't find a lot of leads, it's because the only... Realistically, they could only have a relatively small area in which to base investigations on, because at this stage, they were kind of clueless to the distances that Black was travelling in to deposit the children. They knew he was going a long way, but I didn't think they knew quite how far he was going, did they? Oh, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they hadn't found him, they hadn't pinned, all, pinned it all together yet. So, I mean, at this point, wasn't he still living with Edward and Cathy Rayson in the attic of their London house? Yes, he stayed with them... Throughout this whole saga, yes, I mean he's got he's got a bit he's got a base in London, and he's committing crimes in Northern Ireland, Edinburgh, dumping bodies in the Midlands. You know this is quite it's outside the realm of normal behaviour. Well, obviously it's not normal behaviour, but you know it's not what you'd expect. No, exactly. So you can't blame the police for not because basically, if you said we keep finding bodies in the Midlands. Some of them are from Edinburgh, and someone goes, I found a guy in London that might have done it. You'd be like, piss yeah, off. Exactly, exactly. However, though, this did not stop the police. Four different police forces were involved in the search. There was complete cooperation between all the detectives, and initially, after Maxwell's murder, a satellite incident room was set up in Coldstream to coordinate the search for the killer, with rooms in Leith and Portobello coordinating the search for Hogg's killer. Within a few hours of Hogg's body being discovered, all units were now working closely and agreed upon appointing a senior investigating officer to coordinate everything. Hector Clark was this man. Remember the name. Hector Clark. Got it. His first port call was to establish incident rooms in Northumberland and Leith police stations to allow all four police forces involved to use and communicate. Now, I wonder if there was any issues with... It technically being in different countries, it means Scotland and England. I wonder if that was had any obstacles with that. I think, I think when they're hunting a child murderer, no, I don't think they would have any issues. No, I don't mean intentionally. I just meant like any uh, like procedural differences or something. I don't know. I get no, I don't think so. There's, they use the same language. I think everything would be fine. Yeah, I you suppose guys just, you guys sound funny down there. Though, that's all. Yeah, well, it, do we sound funny or do you sound funny? That's that's the, the question. You look and sound funny, James. Or oh, you smell funny, so... Uh. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Once 
Once this was done, Clark realised that all information about both Maxwell's and Hogg's murders were contained physically on over 500,000 index cards. Now, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, uh, when you read phrases such as 500,000 index cards, you tend to think, wow, that's a lot. I mean, I read that and thought, wow, that's at least four boxes. (laughs) So, uh, let's attempt to quantify this for you. An average index card measures three inches by five inches, or... 75mm by 125mm for those of you comfortable with the metric system. Or 7.5cm by 12.5cm for those of you still under the age of 12. When did you become some sort of measuring, measurement guru? It's the engineering side of my brain coming out, basically. Well, that explains it. Plus, if you, a lot of people use centimetres, and apart from them being rubbish, uh, millimetres are better than inches because you can never mix them up. If someone said to you, oh, it's 10 centimetres, or you said, oh, it's 10 inches, those are, like, if you said, go and get me a notepad, it's about 10 centimetres across the top. You, you, If you misremember that as inches, you could still bring back a notepad. If I said, it's 10 millimetres across the top, you'd be like, well, I'm not going to bring back something at 10 inches. Well, I might do. <laughs> no, who, sadly who not. Describes, who describes fetching a notepad, oh, it's about 10, 10 centimetres across? Who does that? Who says no, these but, things? Okay, well, not that, but I mean, as an example, if you, if you were buying... A photo frame, and uh-huh. then you got inches, and you got inches and centimeters mixed up. Mm-hmm. You buy the wrong frame. If you got millimeters mixed up, you wouldn't think: is this seven hundred and fifty millimeters or seven hundred and fifty <laughs> inches? Is it yeah. bigger than my house? Oh, I see your point. I see your point. Yeah. Anyway, right then. So they had half a million of these index cards. If you laid them out on the ground in a big square, they would cover an area greater than twenty-six UK Premiership League football pitches. Twenty-six, chair. Yeah, no, but like my my problem with that fact is that our Premiership League football pitcher is bigger than the lower division ones. Well, no, it's just that the Premiership League football pitches. This is as someone who doesn't know anything about football and looked into this. Uh, always just annoying me. They say it's the size of two football pitches. So I didn't know how big that was. But anyway, uh, it's a standardised. The Premier League is a standardised pitch size, whereas the lower leagues might not be. You know, okay. some of the lower That's leagues are playing car parks, don't they? Well, yeah, probably. I've played in car parks. Yeah, exactly, but enough about your sex life. Uh, alternatively, if you laid all these index cards end-to-end, they would span 40 miles. I made that in millimetres. Uh, in millimetres, that's piss off. As you can see, <laughs> there were quite a few index cards, and this only goes to highlight the sheer amount of investigative work the police had put into these cases. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. On Hector Clark's mind would have been the recent criticism of this particular filing system due to the investigation into the Yorkshire Ripper completely overwhelming it. Some would say ripping it apart. Why? Why would they say that? Just because I was using Yorkshire Ripper and saying something didn't make any sense. Too late to apply for a new host for this podcast. Yes. Oh, damn. Clark decided to pump all this information relating to both murders into a new com- computerized system called the Holmes Database, which stands for Home Office Large Major Inquiry System. So by 1987, all information for both murders had now be put into this new database at a cost of £250,000. Now, in today's money, that's over £700,000 or for the American viewers, listeners, $880,000. Yeah. 
How much is that in millimeters? <laughs> well, it depends what notes are in it. If, if you've seen, because all American money is the same size, isn't it? But British money varies. So, like a fifty pound oh. note is much bigger than a five pound note. I've no idea. And if you use I've pennies, no then there's they would if pennies side to side, or you do area. <laughs> Because you could stack it, and a stack of twenty pound notes would be smaller than the equivalent value of fifty p's. What I want to know then, before the end of this episode, James, you need to work out one pence pieces. How many you'd have to have next to each other to go around the world? Seriously, when you say yeah. next to each other, do you mean diameter or thickness? Diameter. Okay. Okay, go. You do that. I'll just keep right. reading. No problems. <laughs> The database would go on to hold information about 189,000 people, 220,000 vehicles, and detailed interviews from over 60,000 people. Most of this information came from specific hotlines established in 1984. And as a result of this investigation, and all the information collected, several unrelated crimes, including some child abuse crimes, were solved. It does really show how hard the police were working on this as well, doesn't it? So before we get into how he was caught, we have one more murder to cover. So imagine how long it took to enter all that information onto the Holmes database. And well, you want to know what Black was doing during this time? Murdering little girls. Well, I was going to say wanking in his attic, but I suppose that's right as well. We're both, we're both right. A little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. Exactly. Cue Sarah Harper at around about 8 o'clock on the 16th of March 1986. Sarah Harper had left her family home to go 100 yards to the shop to buy a loaf of bread in Morley, a suburb of Leeds. Now, I've got a figure for the amount of 1p coins, <laughs> but I can't actually... It's, it's a lot of numbers. I'm trying to figure out how to say it. It's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 10 figures. Is that like... That's up in billions, isn't it? Is it yeah, that's like 10 billion, isn't it? It's like oh, into no. the double-figure billions. No, because a billion is nine zero, nine zeros, isn't it? I don't actually know. I can't ask Google what this number is because it'll say this. This is this number, but I've worked it out, and it's uh, it's nearly twenty. If that's right, it's either nearly two billion or twenty billion, one p coins. It's a lot, a lot of one p coins, anyway. Yeah. So there you go, and back to doing my job as co-host of this podcast. <laughs> I have an interesting fact about Morley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's your interesting fact? Morley is the hometown of Ernie Wiseman, better known as one half of famous British comedy duo Morecambe and Wise. Really? A statue was unveiled in 2010 in honour of the late comedian. However, it wasn't an entire success. People have reported that it looks like it's about to topple over, uh, that it's been frightening local residents with its cold demonic stare, and in my <laughs> opinion, it looks like he comes alive at night uh, and breaks into schools to sniff the seats. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. Is that you with your interesting facts? That's me, yeah. More Morley and Leeds? You may proceed. The shopkeeper would confirm that she did in fact buy a loaf of bread, plus two packets of crisps before leaving the shop. The shopkeeper also confirmed that a balding man had entered the shop and left shortly after Sarah Harper did. Last seen alive walking through an alley leading to her house, Sarah had not returned home by 8.20. At that point, her mother and sister searched the surrounding area before calling the police. Over 100 officers were assigned full-time to the search, which included 3,000 house-to-house inquiries, 10,000 leaflets handed out, and 1,400 witness statements gathered. 
100 officers were joined by 200 local volunteers, and even the local reservoir was searched. Inquiries led the police to find out that a white Ford Transit van was in the area, along with two suspicious men hanging around the route Sarah had taken, one of which was stocky and balding. Well, I, I personally think that's quite a good look for a man. I do. You, you rock it, mate. Thank you. Knowing that there was a possibility of Sarah having been abducted and murdered, the police contacted all forces nationwide requesting that they search all locations they had previously found child victims. press conference on April 3rd, held by Sarah's mother, told journalists that she was fearful her daughter was dead and that the worst part was the uncertainty. She made a direct appeal to the abductor to reveal the whereabouts of the body. Two weeks later, the body was found, bound and gagged floating in the River Trent near Nottingham. 71 miles away from where she was last seen alive. The autopsy showed that her cause of death was drowning, but her injuries would most likely have rendered her unconscious before being thrown into the water. There was also clear evidence of violent and sustained sexual assault to the body, described by the pathologist as simply terrible. See, and that's that's described by a person whose job it is to look at this kind of thing on a daily basis. Exactly, should give you some understanding on how disgusting this actually was. A few days after the body was found, a witness contacted the police and told them a white transit van with a balding, stocky man standing next to it was seen around 9.15 on March 26th, ten days after, parked close to the River Soar, which leads directly into the River Trent. If you've been listening, you would know that Black Black was balding and stocky and owned a white transit van, so it was like... Oh, the plot thickens. Now realising that Sarah Harper's murderer had travelled along the M1 motorway before disposing of the body... They, he would have had to refuel the car somewhere. The police contacted and questioned all staff at all service stations located between Woolley and Trowell, mainly asking if they noticed anything unusual on the 26th or 27th of March. Staff at one station had noticed a white transit van, which had seemed very out of place on one of those nights, but could not give a clear description of the driver. And you must be doing something wrong if you can make a van in a service station look out of place. It's not like he was driving an ice cream van round hospital car park or something it's like that. It's not like that. he was you know, driving the, the big dog van from Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, in, in a funeral procession. You know, it's yeah. it, it, to, to make a van in a car park look out of place, you've got to be doing something wrong. This murder of Sarah Harper was not initially linked to the murders of Caroline Hogg and Susan Maxwell, remembering Jennifer Cardi wasn't linked until after Black was already in prison. Right. Even though many, many similarities link the crimes... Being a prepubescent white female abducted in the north of England and eventually found murdered in the Midlands, it wasn't until November of the same year, 1986, that the murder of Sarah Harper was formally linked to the ongoing investigation into the murders of Susan Maxwell and Caroline Hogg. Following the murder of Sarah Harper, a new headquarters was set up in Wakefield to act as a liaison with um, to now six different police forces looking in, looking for the child murderer. On April 21st, 1986... Uh, when was uh, that? Oh, uh, April 21st, 1986. Ah, yes, the uh, 68th, 68th anniversary of the death of German flying ace, the Red Baron. Really? Yeah. How did he die? He was killed in combat. Oh, right, there we go. Yeah. He Fantastic. obviously wasn't that, wasn't that good, was he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that your fact? Yep. Thank you very much. On April 21st, 1986, the head of Scotland Yard Criminal Intelligence Branch, Philip Corbett, headed a meeting to discuss how to share information between all forces involved and now the National Manhunt, 
but also to share information and investigate potential links to 19 other unsolved child murders. At this point, over £1 million had already been spent on the case. And in today's money, that's nearly £3 million. It's a lot of money. Yes. A lot of money. One of the many outcomes of the meeting was to contact the FBI to get a psychological profile of the person they should be looking for. They received this nearly two years later. The profile described the killer as a white male aged between 30 and 40, but closer to 40. They would be unkempt in appearance and a classic loner. He would not have an extensive formal education and likely lived alone in rented accommodation in a lower class area. The motives were likely to be sexual and the killer would have a fixation on child pornography and retain souvenirs from his victims. And finally, he would most likely engage in necrophilia with his victims before disposing of the bodies. As far as we've researched, they got this profile pretty much spot on. But that's enough about my Tinder profile. What about the killer? <laughs> ah, very good, very good. Oh, yes. As for the Holmes database investigations, it was concluded that all people with convictions containing serious sexual assault um, against children were to be checked out. Every police force within the UK were to check their own databases for people who had received convictions within 10 years of Susan Maxwell's murder in 1982. This narrowed the search to a measly 40,000 men. And here's a test for everyone, including you, James. Okay. If you checked cool. everyone within 10 years of 1982, would Robert Black have made it onto the list? Oh, that's a good one. I'm not sure he would. No, his only conviction was in 1967. See. Good memory, James. I'm glad to see you've been paying attention. Yeah, that's yeah. Ooh. It's almost like I've read the script before. So that that concludes Sarah Harper and the Holmes database for now. We're now going to talk about one that got away, and her name is Teresa Thornhill. Twenty third of April, nineteen eighty eight, in the Radford area of Nottingham. Where where was that? The Radford area of Nottingham. All right. Sorry, just didn't hear. <laughs> <laughs> Thornhill had been at a, a social gathering, well, how I missed them, yeah. with some friends in the park. She started her walk home with her boyfriend, and when they parted company, Thornhill was walking by herself. She noticed a blue transit van coming to a stop ahead of her, and a man got out and raised the bonnet. When she walked past, he asked, Can you fix engines? She replied no, and continued to walk a bit faster before feeling someone's hand around her mouth and waist which started to drag her backwards towards the van. As she got pulled into the van, she managed to grab his testicles, causing him to shout, Oh, you bitch! He loosened his grip, and she managed to wedge her feet in the doors while screaming for her mother. Her boyfriend, who had just left her, heard the shouts, and he came running back to help. Let go of her, you fat bastard. He shouted, causing panic in black, who released Thornhill, and made a dash for the driver's seat, and drove speedily away. The couple ran to the house of Thornhill, and informed her parents, who obviously contacted the police, and the pair described what happened and described the abductor as unkempt, overweight, balding, and a heavy-set man between 40 and 50. For some reason, the incident was not reported to Hector Clark, and the teams investigating the previous murders. Even though, as we discussed about five minutes ago, all police forces had been asked to report such incidents. Should we just... just any ideas why they wouldn't have reported it? Yes. 
I actually a bit of a think into this. Now, if you look at the crime or actual crime that was committed, it's an attempted kidnap, so it might not fit the profile of sexual crimes that the police are investigating on the on the face of it. If you're okay. looking at the if you're looking down a big list of reported crimes, kidnap might not be one that you'd look into a great deal. Also, from my own research, wasn't Teresa uh she's about sixteen, wasn't she? Fifteen, I think. Fifteen, right? But she was tiny, so she looked a lot younger. Yes, and that's why he went for it because she she would probably would have thought she was eleven or twelve. So when okay. the police the police are looking for someone who's been sexually assaulting, murdering young girls, attempted kidnap of a teenager, doesn't really fit in with what they're looking for. It doesn't say uh, in the report. It doesn't say that she was fifteen, but she looks ten. It just says fifteen. So you're going to think, oh, well, probably not. And also, some facts might have got lost in translation. I mean. Information is only as good as the person giving it and the person receiving it. Meaning that by the time it's it's being read via a written report, the nuance of interpretation may have distorted some of the descriptions. For example, the term heavy set might bring about a totally different image in my mind as it does in your mind. Yeah, exactly. Fair enough. For example, in my mind, it makes me think of a big jelly. <laughs> I just think of you when someone says heavy set. Thank you, but but someone but someone who only knows studly buff gym boys might yeah. think of some muscly guy. Yeah, yeah, I see. You know, so it's it's different. Um, you want to know my reasoning for why they didn't report this? Yes, I think they forgot. Do you think so? No, I think your way your explanation is much much better. Thank you. So that's enough about murders kidnappings, attempted kidnappings. Now let's move on to his capture and trial. We might not get all there in this episode, but we'll, we'll, tr- we'll do our best. It's all we can do. On the 14th of July, 1990, David Herkes Herks? David Herks was mowing his lawn in Stowe when he saw a blue transit van slow to a standstill across the road. The driver got out to clean his windscreen as a six-year-old neighbour was walking by on the other side of the van. As David was bending down to tend his lawnmower, by chance he looked up and at the same time he saw a little girl's feet come off the ground and the driver run back round to the driver's side before setting off. David ran to the girl's home and called, and their mother called the police. By a stroke of luck, while David was speaking to the police, the van reappeared in his line of sight. He pointed it out to the police who stopped the van and the officers began to search the vehicle. In another case of extreme luck, the police officer opened the back of the van, found the girl tied up in a sleeping bag, struggling to breathe, was her own father. Now, as impressive as that is, that's not the only look of the story. That night, David Herc's wife gave him a blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> well fucking deserved. Exactly. You know, it's. I, I think that if, if he hadn't got one, I'd have maybe volunteered for the, to provide that service for him as a good citizen. Good guy. <laughs> Black was immediately handcuffed and on his way to the police station he said It was a rash of blood to the head. I've always liked little girls since I was a lad. I tied her up because I wanted to keep her until I dropped the parcel off. I was going to let her go. Upon inspection of the girl, the doctor found traces of serious sexual assault. She was able to pinpoint the, the lay-by Black had taken her to, to in order to assault her. It was clear Black's intention was to make her his final delivery to Galashiels before... Um, further abuse or killing the young girl. At Selkirk Police Station, where he was initially taken, Black admitted to sexually assaulting the girl, but did not do much as he didn't have much time. 
I mean, why would you not use that as an opportunity to try and minimise your guilt by lying and saying, oh, I wouldn't dream of doing anything more? I just didn't have a lot of time, so I didn't do the bad stuff. Prick. (laughs) The chief of the station noticed similarities between this case and the murders of Maxwell, Hogg and Harper, so he notified Hector Clark, who travelled to interview Black himself. Although Black didn't give anything away at his interview, Clark left with no doubt that this was the man he'd been hunting since the first known murder in 1982. Remember, at this moment, Black currently was only charged with abduction of the last of this girl. Police searched his van and found everything from restraining devices, a hood, Polaroid camera, numerous articles of young girls' clothing, a mattress, and some sexual aids. His explanation to this would be, while he was on deliveries, he would park in laybys, dress in children's clothing, masturbate before moving on. And you know what? It would not surprise me if he did this as well as everything else. See... I know he's a wrong one, but I always find this fact to be a bit far-fetched. I mean, I find it hard enough to get into high street jeans. I would expect to believe that this sweaty base could get into children's clothes. Not not convinced myself. He would try them on. His mm. flat was... Uh, I, I, I try on women's clothes. I suppose not young girls' clothes, just... No, exactly. Dress. That's fine if you want to do that. Actually, it came up on my Facebook stories. I went on Zandra's Hindu about seven or eight years ago and I wore a dress. Oh, yeah. And that always makes me smile. Um, his flat was searched where they found suitcases of child pornography in the forms of books, magazines, and videos. 58 videos de- depicting graphic sexual child abuse, um, which he claimed to buy in continental Europe. Fucking go Brexit if that's the case. <laughs> Several more items of girls' clothing were found along with um, a semen stained copy of Nottinghamshire newspaper, which had an article of the failed abduction of Teresa Thornhill. So now the bastard had been caught. What comes next, James? Is it when they string him up by his bollocks in the town square? No, before that we have the trial. Oh, right, okay. Remembering that this is only for the abduction that he was caught for. They had nothing on him for anything else. Did they not try and get him for possession of child porn? That's what I was wondering. That's a good question. I, I just, I don't know. Was it strictly illegal in the 1990? I don't know, you would assume so. 1990, I think it was, yeah. I mean, I don't think it was ever legal. It just might have been that there was no... It was like, I mean, like in the 20s, maybe there was no concept that it could exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I think in 1990, it must be illegal. Although maybe, I don't know, it must have been. It must have been. I can't answer that question, sorry. No. We're just badly researched. August nice, 10th, 19- nice callback, nice callback. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. August the 10th, 1990, Black was tried for the abduction and sexual assault of a schoolgirl. This took place in Edinburgh High Court before Lord Donald MacArthur Ross. The trial just lasted just one day as Black pled guilty. And you know what else happened on that day? What? NASA's Magellan spacecraft landed on Venus. Really? Yes. That's quite interesting. And you know what happens tonight? What? Uh, forceful entry of a probe into Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch the 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 SpaceX thing the other I, day? I did. Yeah. And yeah. I I don't know anything about space or anything like that. I just I knew they go fast. I yeah. didn't realize they go twenty seven thousand kilometers per hour. Did you Did you find it also amazing that it kept on accelerating all that way up? It was just I crazy. thought it would have got to about 120 and then just hung out there. 
Yeah, yeah, something reasonable, not 27,000. Or maybe like 600 miles an hour and then just kept staying at that, but just kept accelerating. But also, I always think it's funny because they look like they're not going fast enough to, to stay in the air. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's weird. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I really enjoyed it though. Did you see the mouse? No. I'll show it you after. There's a bit of footage which uh, shows it's when they've got that secondary burner going and it glows red. Yeah. You can see something flapping about and it looks like a little mouse running around. What inside? No outside. It's clearly not a mouse because it it couldn't oh, be because right, right, it sorry. would die. But well. it's just it's. It's a, a so it's confused. a fanciful tale, Chen. It's it's it, it's fun. It's for fun. It's not scientifically accurate. <laughs> I mean, the hardest thing will be trying to get it trained, get the mouse to hold pens. We can do the exams, try and make a spacesuit small enough for it. You know, it's there's a lot of th- restrictions in place. Too many, some might say. Can you train mice? Uh, well, it depends what you what you want them to do. Go to space. Uh, well, they did send mice to space in the past. Did they? For testing, yeah. I know they. I know they sent monkey and um, a dog. Yeah, but they sent that before the monkeys and Lyca. They sent that. Back, I just uh, like they, they, they well, they managed to train these animals to come home safe, so it's fine. Which ones? All of them. No. Yes, they all all came home safe. No, they didn't. Fuck off! They all came home safe. <laughs> you ever do see I, the footage have, of them? Um, do I have the, to be the one to tell you this? <laughs> that 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 lovely dog Lyca didn't come back. Um, no, I know that. Um, you ever seen the footage of the head transplant they did of the monkey? Yeah, it was weird. It was weird, wasn't it? I was like, what are you mm. doing? What's the point in that? And it, it was strange because you weren't sure if the monkey was, because he said it was conscious, but was it though? Cause it didn't look right, did it? No, apparently it was conscious for like five, ten minutes. Yeah, and then he died. But it's just like, yeah. I don't know. No, oh, think... animal testing. Oh. Lovely. Did you see that? Did you see that thing? That no, I didn't. I didn't share it. Did I, t- did I tag you in it? This is great. This, you know, I, I've always thought that best thing for podcasts is two people trying to remember something. <laughs> <laughs> basically, it was or, a, or one a, fan shouting. Oh, yeah, this is, uh, yeah. Uh, basically, someone had lost their arm, and because they lost their arm, the arm fell in the sewer. They tried to stitch it back on. An infection set in. So, they removed the arm. And as to not let the arm die, they were like, we need to keep this arm alive. And then they attached it to his leg or something. Yes, they put it halfway up his leg. They took his artery out of his thigh and fastened it onto his leg. So he had two legs and then his arm out the bottom. They cleaned up the infection from his stump. And then a few weeks later, put his arm back on and it's fine. That's amazing, wasn't it? I think you did tag me in that. Mm, I love stuff like that. Great. Very impressed. It's almost like some sort of mad scientist experiment, isn't it? I mean, they put it on the wrong way, but still. (laughs) (laughs) Some people say it looks like I've got an arm down there. They don't say that. No, they don't. So, back to the trial. Black pled guilty. Black's defense was that this was not premeditated and that he had been, he planned on returning the girl. See, now he's starting yeah. to bullshit and make up things, isn't it? Yeah. Because this trial, now even though he's pled guilty, we're just trying to, they're trying to work out how severe the punishment should be, I imagine. Eh? They're trying to work out if it was premeditated or not. That determines the severity of the punishment. So, 
The argument for this was that Black had been so honest about everything else, like his fetish for girls' clothes and being openly attracted to children. Also that he'd fought back urges to abduct and abuse children before. See, so this now, was... I've heard... Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you there. I, I've heard that one way to make a lie seem more convincing is to give an element of embarrassing truth with it. So yep. if you're like, sorry I'm late, I shit myself, you know, that kind of thing. But, Didn't or, an F1 driver do that once? Well, what, shit himself, was probably. It, no, was it not Kimi Raikkonen? He was late for an interview. And he went up, he goes, sorry I'm late, I was having a shit. Oh, probably, yeah, Kimi Raikkonen is yeah. brilliant, he hates the press. Yeah, he just wants to, he just wants to race. Yeah. He also Sorry, did more answers, but yeah, no, it was just that about uh, basically that you can, if you need to get away with something, you offer an element of truth. So it, this, you know, is he attempting to minimise, you know, his apparent guilt? Yeah, oh, definitely. It's like, well, look, I'm open about this. Why would I not be open about X? Yeah. You know, yeah, 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 exactly. SpaceX. So, so he was arguing that it was more impulsive. They also argued that Black acknowledged that he was a danger to children. Two children and was willing to undergo treatment. Do you think this was manipulation, or do you think he realised he'd been caught and was generally cooperating? I think it was manipulation. Yeah, or he's just trying I, to get a lesser sentence. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that he's got uh, he's got psychopathic tendencies, but he doesn't seem to be as calculating as other ones. I don't think he's got the intelligent aspect of it. No, he's not up there with your big, huge names. But oh yeah. He was smart enough to buy a van and get a delivery job, wasn't he? That was all premeditated. But do you not think that he'd be doing this no matter what job he had? Like if he was a builder's labourer or if he worked in a in a supermarket, he'd be doing it in that he just wouldn't have the means to do it as well. Or successfully, I should say. Yeah, yeah, probably. probably you know, I mean, if you're, work, if you're working in the shop and you keep grabbing customers, you're going to get away with doing it, what, three times? And then they're going to go to the police. No, no, I agree. But I don't think he was trying to cooperate at all. He was just trying to get a lesser sentence so he could get back out in the streets in his van. Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose cause at this point he's still probably thinking that he's going to get away. Yes. The court heard the prosecution argue that all the equipment obtained in Black's van led them to believe that this was entirely planned and that if the girl had not been found, she would be dead in 15 minutes. The evidence for and against eventually led to life imprisonment for Black in Peterhead Prison. So Black was now in prison for life. But our story does not end here. But this episode of the podcast does. Yeah, I think that's a nice place to stop, isn't it? It is. It's a, it's a nice wee break. And the next episode we will conclude about... Oh, I don't know. It's, it's here somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's, it's written down. We have a vague idea of what we're doing, but, you know, not, not no more than usual. So, yeah, that was a good... Could be story there. He's in prison in Peter Heat. Aye. Oh, by the way, for everyone, for everyone wondering why my accent for him keeps changing, I can't really do a Scottish accent. So that's why I, I just did my generic pervert accent. <laughs> just in your normal voice then? Well, pretty much, yeah. Oh, I'm so funny. So funny. Oh, go fuck yourself. Just on a side note, um, our first episode of the Robert Black saga within two weeks is I, in my... Th- my thing has nearly hit a hundred listens in two weeks. That's a lot of our episodes are well over a hundred listens, but not within two weeks. So that's done very well. 
Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. We've noticed we've had a lot of new likes to the page and to the podcast, a lot of new followers on the old social media. So thank you. And please keep listening. You keep listening. We'll keep doing it. If you want to hear a certain thing, let us know. There are some cases we're going to shy away from. I don't think we can do, say, Fred and Rose West. I don't think we can do them any better than has already been done. We couldn't really add any anything interesting to it. We were going to do the Yorkshire Ripper, but that's just very recently been covered. We were starting to do research on that. And another podcast has covered it that's similar to ours. So we're kind of thinking then, ah, oh, really, we're just going to be doing the same thing again that they've already done. So anyone out there that you fancy is doing, let us know. going to come over and do you. Well, once lockdown's lifted, unless you can stretch it over two metres. As soon as lockdown's lifted, I'm driving all the way to your house. Good. You can have a fucking field day on your asshole. <laughs> <laughs> right. Make sure you bring hand sanitizer. <laughs> Suitable to end there. Yeah, that, that's find a good us way on to end. The old social media. We've got facebook.com slash mess podcast. Instagram is a bloody mess podcast. And I think and we're Twitter, soon to be opening a grinder account. <laughs> yeah. Um, under Robert Black. <laughs> Twitter, fuck Twitter, Twitter shit. Yeah. Twitter's for perverts. Also, let us know if you want us on YouTube, because we initially had our old podcast host to set up to automatically upload the episodes to YouTube. Tried to do it on the new one that offers more exposure, but we tried to do it on the new one, and there wasn't an option for it. So I then thought, oh, actually, how much of a benefit would this be? Went back and looked at the figures on YouTube, and there's very, 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 very little traffic going through there. So I'm wondering, is that something you want? Do you like listening to YouTube? Would you? Because I suppose if you're on YouTube, you can be on the computer, and then if you're on the computer, you might as well go to everywhere else to listen to it. Exactly. I don't think YouTube's a benefit to anyone. No. Apart from people who are making millions from YouTube, that's it's a benefit to them, not to us, though. I mean, we can barely make a podcast. I don't think we're going to make millions. We're not going to make millions yet. Patience, James. Patience. I always think it's really funny that someone might like try and sponsor us, and like the the like obviously way down the line. But then we're going to get that letter like saying, "Can you stop talking about fisting each other, please?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> Can you stop this, talking this, about eating each other's assholes. Yeah, this doesn't promote my bakery. <laughs> <laughs> or this isn't the image that my DIY firm would like to promote didn't we get a comment on our Instagram I can't remember who it was I know you deal with most of it but someone saying them, they listen and they're like oh I can't believe they said that I can't believe they're saying that oh yeah yeah. I was I was looking at that. I was like, wait till they hear the, un- the fucking unedited versions oh, oh yeah we, we do take a lot of it. I mean basically it's like people think oh I can't believe that you're saying that but it's like well I'm aware of freedom of speech, and I'm aware that there's no such thing as freedom from consequences of what you say, but at the minute, we don't pull any punches, we don't pretend to be something we're not, if you don't like it, you don't listen. Exactly, we're free, as you keep telling everyone, James, we're free. Well, exactly. Yeah, if you don't like it, tell me how much you've paid, and I'll give you your money back. <laughs> right, I think that's it for this episode. So do I. Thanks we're for done. listening. And if you're we'll still see you later. See you later, motherfuckers. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another great podcast from the Fair City Podcast Network, a group dedicated to connecting and developing podcasts. Check out fcpod.net for more great podcasts and content.